On this week's 51%, we celebrate Valentine's Day and speak with writers Nan Bauer-Maglin and Daniel Hood about their new book, Great Love, about dating and relationships after age 60. Old people, even at advanced age and with at least moderate infirmities, can still enjoy life and enjoy other people. We also hear from the women behind Upstate New York's newest matchmaking service. I'm Jesse King. It's all up next on 51%. I was standing around like one of those girls I had seen in a movie. The whole world was a movie back then. I had my sunglasses on. I wanted to be seen without seeing Shiloh Alita. I wasn't really in it. I didn't really get it. You're listening to 51%, a WAMC production dedicated to women's issues and stories. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse King. It's the season of love. Whether you're looking for it, knee-deep in it, drowning in it, or completely over it, love plays an enormous part of our lives, at all stages of our lives. Today, we're particularly highlighting seniors in love, because despite our aging population, we tend to talk about seniors as if they're long settled and not interested in love or sex. But that's not necessarily the case. Studies show more than half of women age 65 and older, and 21% of men in that age group are without partners. And they're not all looking, sure, but one of the fastest growing demographics for dating sites are single seniors. Our main guests today are the editors of Grey Love, stories on dating and relationships after 60, out now through Rutgers University Press. Nan Bauer-Maglin and Daniel Hood are dating after decades with previous partners. Bauer-Maglin is Professor Emeritus at the City University of New York and has written several books on topics like divorce, grief, step-parenting, and more, while Hood is a retired teacher of sociology who worked in schools across the New York metro area for 40 years. Their book contains more than 40 real-life stories, told in essays, poems, and short reflections of retirees searching for love in their twilight years. Some of them found what they were looking for and then had to navigate the unique complexities of gray love. Others found adventure and frustration, and many others simply learned to love themselves. Hood says it's hard to pin down what gray love looks like. It's not something that can be encapsulated in one experience. But running through all of their stories is the continued desire for connection at all levels. I don't think we set out to capture that, but it certainly ended up capturing in many of the articles the fact that people over 60 and even into their 80s and 90s still maintain ardent desires, including sexual desires, and want companionship and some satisfaction in terms of the desires in their life. And also didn't want to be seen just as a grandfather or as a grandmother, mother, a wife, but they wanted to be seen as someone with desires and independent Human emotion. So what does the dating scene look like for seniors right now? Give me a sense of the playing field. Well, I wish I have statistics in the book, which I, I can't remember in front of me. But I think that at every age, it gets harder, especially for women, to find available. We're scarce. Men. You know? Whereas for men, there's a lot out there. And also the whole age difference, you know, um, still, it's much more acceptable for men to date younger women, 20 years younger, whatever. But for an 80-year-old to say, I'm interested in a 60-year-old, that's that's hard. And An most 80-year-old people, woman to, to look for a 60-year-old yeah, man. Yes. Yeah, that's unlikely. So as we see in what people write about, 
there's not as much choice. So that's one thing. But I also do think that there's different needs. And again, uh, the Pew Research study shows that older people emphasize that they were looking for somebody who had similar political views, background. They were less open to a lot of differences. They want there's things that they really wanted. Well, most of us by this age are more or less fully formed people, for better or for worse. And we know what we want and what we need, usually. And in my experience, although I, I don't know if this is reflected in the book, I don't remember if it is or not, it may well be, uh, we have lists, whether they're explicit or implicit, what we're looking for. I know I certainly did when I started. I, I had at least five things that I was looking for. I was willing to compromise. But that's the issue, whereas uh, I could be wrong about this, but I think younger people are just looking for what they're looking for. They're not really sure. They have, they're not fully formed people yet. And so the, the, the market is open, if you will. This isn't necessarily a how-to book for seniors, but for people who might be navigating dating apps or online dating for the first time, do you have any advice for them on that front? Like, what did you learn in your own experience? One of the pieces of advice that um, Helen Fisher, she's an expert, she actually wrote a blurb for us, she said, don't keep on, you know, looking and looking and looking. Choose like the nine people and then focus on them and choose three within that and then focus on that. Several of the men actually, or two of the men in the book said, it's like a candy store for men. And why should you stop? There's always another person right around the corner who might be better, you know? And I think if you're going online, you have to decide that you're going to focus. The other thing is, is that, which I think I learned is that since I'm in literature and I love writing, that when people wrote back to me, if they ever did, if they were good writers, I sort of right away sort of fell in love with their writing. And what you have to learn to do is get off that, move to like seeing, talking to the person or seeing the person, because the writing might not be really who the person is, you know. So you have to learn to move quickly out of that sort of trap of, of just going back and forth texting. A number of the people, there's someone who's in the book, who most of the people are 60s and 70s, but I think the person 80 and the person 90 said they didn't like the technology of it all. And they much prefer the old fashioned way of having a matchmaker or, you know, or meeting in work, but no one meets in work anymore, especially since the pandemic, no one goes to work. A couple of people hooked up with people they knew previously. In some cases, it was previous boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. In some cases, it was just people they knew in school, and they both had lives. One of them, they, they hadn't seen each other for 50 years. And one of the interesting things about this couple that got together is that, and this is something about older dating or older relationships, that they decided once they got together that they didn't want to live with each other. And I think that's an often a decision that older people decide because they had independent lives and also they realized that what they liked about each other was they were full developed people with independent lives so they deliberately decided never to live together that's true i liked how in the book you did have some examples of seniors who were tossing aside those more traditional relationship roles and norms the way the book is organized the first half of the book is about looking for love and that question of sort of like to be or not to be in a relationship? Should I keep looking or just stay single? And then the second half is about what gray love looks like once you find it. 
Regarding the latter, what are some of the unique situations or complexities you saw couples dealing with in this book? First of all, there's children, but I don't think children are a big problem. Usually the children are adult and they're not that involved in your life. You know, we do have one or two pieces where the child disapproved. And I think maybe even if you're 60, somehow the child does not think you're a sexual being or doesn't like it or doesn't want the father or the mother replaced. Um, but that I don't think that was a big deal in the book because children are kind of irrelevant. But it, do, it does but, happen. I mean, it, it happened to me in an earlier relationship. That was part of the reason the relationship didn't last. We have two articles about ghosts. And <laughs> everybody, when they enter relationships, have had previous relationships or have some history. But when you are that old, you have a huge you know, history. And especially if, like my husband, I was married to him for 36 years and Dan was married to his wife for 40 years. You can't just put that aside. And so when you have an older relationship, you bring in the past relationship. And some people are very unhappy with that. They don't say, don't talk about your ex-wife. You know, I don't want to hear about it. But my attitude was that was part of my life. And I want to share it and make it part of our relationship. There's one uh, article about the woman Doris was married to an artist. And so all over her apartment are nude pictures of herself. And paintings. So, paintings, yeah. And so in the present partner moves in, he has to figure out how to live with all those nude paintings on the wall. And he could demand having it taken down, but I don't think the relationship would have lasted it, then. It, it's a nice article, and, it, and he didn't mind, ultimately. <laughs> you come with big experiences when you are older. The other thing is the, the biggest or the saddest or the most difficult is health and disability and dying. That happens when you're older. And a number of the women write that they don't want to care for somebody who's sick. They already probably have gone through that at least once. And so a lot of women decide not to go forward because it's too much work, too scary. And and then ethically, what do you do if you start dieting? There's someone who talks about after 10 months, he started getting very sick. What is her ethical commitment to him? It's a big question. Like you mentioned earlier, there's one couple who actively decides not to live together. You have some people who change things up in other ways. It was interesting to read about people who were still learning about themselves, I guess, and what their boundaries are even at that age. Did you have any like favorite stories while you were collecting these or stories that surprised you? Each one is my favorite, obviously. <laughs> I think there are two I'll mention, and maybe, I don't know. The, the person who used a matchmaker, because it was so fascinating, this matchmaker takes over completely answers all your emails relates to the let's say the guy gets him to the point where he's interested in you and then you take over and you have to give that person free reign to do what she wants to be your matchmaker i thought that was amazing and it worked she found a person but of course that's probably very expensive but it's a, quite an interesting article the other is and it's about flexibility when you're doing this. One woman, Jan, um, went online after divorce and she was online looking for a man for a number of years. And she kept realizing that it didn't make any sense. They seemed just like her husband. Why, why, why would she repeat that? You know, and she wanted more communication and men weren't doing that for her. And so one 
day she just decides, okay, I'm going to try and go online and, and look at women, which she had never even thought of that ever in her life. And she starts looking. And after about three different women, she finds somebody that she's quite interested in. And she freaks out, you know, because mm -hmm. she hadn't planned. That wasn't in the picture. Eventually, they do meet. They do like each other. And they do live together for many years now. And it shows you, which I think is probably rare for an older person, a flexibility and willing to think outside the box for yourself. I don't think it's rare. You don't think I, it's rare? I, yeah. I think our book could help dispel that, that misconception. Mm -hmm. But When I first went online, I did try to pick people that were unlike me and didn't seem like that I would like them. And I tried really hard to be open. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah, the best stories that I like, and there are several of them, are stories like that. They're not really how-to. They're, they're descriptions of how things went in real situations, but they're serial. And that was also my experience. So I was looking at other people's take on a similar experience to my own. And there were lots of different approaches and different responses and different reactions and different successes or failures. So those were the ones that I liked. Let me mention one more piece. As several people said, I don't want to date, I'm not interested, mm -hmm. either having bad experiences or not even dating at all, that I'm okay with my life, being single, my independent life. And there was one man who, very short piece, very moving, and he said, I'm still married to my wife. She's dead, but I'm still married to her and I don't want to date. I want friends, but I don't want to date. Well, lastly, what do you hope readers get out of this book? Any broader advice for those navigating their love life right now? It's an adventure. If you want to go date and you're most likely <laughs> online, it's an adventure. And one of the things I was pretty amazed at is a number of the women who had been, you know, on 39 dates and nothing worked or 150 dates, that they weren't bitter. Some of them were, some of them were angry, but a lot of them said, I can learn things. I have lots of stories to tell people then. Had a good time. Yeah, that they weren't discouraged, although I know burnout is a big, many people who go online feel burnout. I guess I want people to feel that it could be an adventure and it could work out positively, although statistics are that for women, it will not, the older you get. The other thing, one of the writers in the book gave it to her 24-year-old. And apparently she stayed up all night reading the whole book. And so it's not just for older people. The 24-year-old said, I identified with a lot of those issues. And also that they will understand their mother or their grandmother or their grandfather who are dating and won't sort of mock them, but will uh, help them, you know, support them in the search. My top wish is that this will help dispel the myth that old people don't have lives, that old people, even at advanced age and with at least moderate infirmities can still enjoy life and enjoy other people and still have functioning physical capacities and can enjoy them. And have sex. I mean, a number oh, of people- I was trying to be I, I'm, discreet. <laughs> a number of people said they've had the best sex of their lives. And I think that is because you don't have children, you don't have a job that you have to get to every day, that you have the time to really enjoy your body. I have to imagine that people are hopefully better at communicating with each other overall at that age too, right? I imagine that helps. Absolutely. I talk much more freely with Nan and earlier women I had been seeing and they with me 
uh, although they may have done that before. I, I don't know. Women are but, different than men. <laughs> but uh, talking about having sex at 75, there are things that you have to know about each other. And if you've been married for 44 years, those have either, either been figured out or they haven't. And that's another story. But at this age, you got to talk about it. But talking about communication being better, it is better. Also, if you've had a long-term relationship, you realize some of the things you should have done and didn't do. Yeah. And so you try to make yeah. it better this time around. But the problem also is that older people have memory issues and some of them are approaching <laughs> Alzheimer's. So that's a problem in older relationships. How do you do this again? <laughs> Well, Nan Bauer-Maglin and Daniel Hood are the editors behind the new book, Gray Love, Stories of Dating and Relationships After 60, out now from Rutgers University Press. Nan and Daniel, thanks for taking the time. You, you too. too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Being sick of dating apps is not unique to older populations. With its infinite options, endless swiping, and mindless small talk, online dating can start to feel a little frustrating and dehumanizing. As Nan Bauer-Maglin mentioned, some of the participants in Grey Love eschewed dating apps altogether by putting their faith in a matchmaker. And it's an idea more and more singles may be open to exploring. So what is matchmaking like? Our next guests are putting a modern spin on the age-old art for singles in New York's capital region. Becky Daniels and Gabby Fisher call themselves the Micropolitan Matchmakers and offer everything from individual matchmaking to date coaching and group mixers. I recently sat down with them before the ribbon cutting for their new office in Schenectady. Izzy! She's so excited. She loves getting out of the house. As you can imagine, this is an insanely busy time of year for matchmaking. So today, Daniel's dog Izzy is along for the ride, and she's very excited to be included. While the office is new, Daniels and Fisher are no strangers to the local dating scene. They got their start organizing dating events as Capital Heart Connection. And by now, they've amassed a database of eligible bachelors and bachelorettes, as well as their own connections to pull from for clients. While matchmaking isn't cheap, Daniel says the new service provides a more focused, tailored-to-you experience. So the process really starts when someone signs on. We do a really in-depth intake. They go anywhere from an hour to two hours where we're asking questions about values, about lifestyle, what people are looking for. And then we have a free database that we start with. So um, we'll take a look there first. And we have right now over 200 people on our mm -hmm. database and it's growing all the time. So we'll start there, but Gabby and I also have very deep connections in the community. So if we don't find anyone that we think is really good for that client in the database, we'll start tapping our own networks as well. Um, but really, it's tough to describe a process because there is a bit of a magic to it. You know, and in that intake that we do with our client, we try to get a sense of their energy, of their vibe. And certainly we ask what they're looking for. But, you know, at the same time, we we kind of get a read on people and we like to throw some out of the box options at folks too. So once we decide upon a match, we do a background check, we do a video interview of everyone that we set our clients up with. And then Gabby actually will curate the first date for the couple. 
So that first date, like what are the big do's and don'ts of that first date? Hmm, that's interesting. So obviously, you know, we have clients and singles from all over the capital region, all the way up to Glens Falls, all the way south to Columbia County. And we really want to obviously try to pick somewhere that's halfway between the two of them and also caters to the interest of the couple that we're setting up on a date. We love to set up activity-based dates. So instead of just necessarily sitting across from each other having dinner, you know, it's kind of awkward sometimes on the first date, we really try to incorporate an activity that can kind of be a distraction and loosen people up a little bit, always supporting small local business. And that kind of goes into, again, our mission right off the bat was showing people what's so great about the capital region and bringing people outside of their comfort zones of the places that they're not typically going to for a first date or, you know, to meet a friend. And do those first dates, like how many matches do most people meet with before they settle on somebody? So our matchmaking service is is fairly new. We launched in July. So we actually, we have quite a few clients, but none of them have gone through our entire matchmaking program yet. Mm -hmm. But we have had matches that have decided to see each other after that first date for a couple months, a couple more dates. Um, We can't guarantee that, you know, you're going to find your husband or your wife on that first date. We can guarantee an amazing experience and we're going to set you up with somebody who's going to be a connection for you, whether that is a romantic connection or a friend connection. And we do really, uh, we take feedback after every date from both the paid client and the person that we match them with. And while we are fairly new, you know, what we can say is we have a hundred percent satisfaction rate on the logistics of the date, the understanding of why we set those two people up with each other and the fact that they had a good time. So even if it wasn't necessarily a romantic match, people are really understanding and excited about the dates that they're going on versus, you know, it's a little bit more untested when you're going out with someone from a dating app. Yeah. And I would also say that part of the reason we wanted to start this matchmaking process is not only to help people find that romantic love, but to make dating fun again, because you hear so many people who are just so burnt out from the apps. They feel like it's work. They don't want to be on the apps anymore, or they don't even know how to navigate the apps. And we take out all of the time wasted, all of the planning, all of the uncertainty, and we put you on a a date that is going to be a good date. We want people to become more confident daters. You know, one of the guidelines, um, I don't think you said this already, but one of the guidelines with the dates that we set up is we don't want you to actually talk or text before the date. We truly Mm. try to set up a blind date experience. We actually don't share pictures ahead of time either because we found that the matches were kind of We all have this tendency to make up stories in our head about what people are like when you see a photo or when you have a text conversation. So in our guidelines, we say, you know, the morning of, here's the phone number in case you have an emergency. Please don't text this person before or even after the date. We'll handle after they fill out their feedback form. If they want to reconnect and go on a second date, we'll facilitate that whole process. So we really try to take that piece out of it. And that's part of why people get so burnt out on dating apps is because you spend all of this time talking and vetting. And someone's always going to be different than what you think they are based on text message or app conversations. What should people be really keeping in mind when they're looking for a partner? That's a really interesting question. And I'm going to answer it in two parts. The first part is I think what sets Becky and I apart as matchmakers based on the research we've done of other matchmaking companies and also talking to some of our clients who have used matchmakers in the past is how personalized our process is. Um, 
obviously dating apps aren't working for them for a reason and a lot of that is because the humanity of it has kind of been dragged out and we're bringing that back we spend an hour and a half two hours with every single client the two of us not one of us the two of us really getting to spend time with this person understanding their history their backgrounds why they are the way they are their dating mindset all of that stuff um because you know some matchmakers they will look at a piece of paper and they're like, oh, this might be a good match for this person. But until you spend time with that person and you really get to know what makes them tick, you can't effectively match someone. So, you know, in terms of what we recommend to people when you're looking for someone who could potentially be a match and go on a first date with is, first of all, making sure your values align. You know, that is something that we definitely take super seriously. A lot of other things, interests, hobbies, lifestyle, that can be compromised on. But when it comes to your values, that's something that we really want to make sure that we are connecting people who value those same things and are passionate about certain things in their life and their belief system, you know, their life goals, all of that stuff. So, you know, a lot of the other things can be compromised on hobbies, how you spend your time, where to go out to dinner. But when it comes to your values as a human, that is not something really that we can compromise on. Are there any other misconceptions or I guess like common, I don't know if I want to call them mistakes, but common things that people do during the dating process that makes it more difficult for them? Yeah. One of the things we can speak from experience and working with our clients is so many people are looking for the spark, right? Like you meet someone immediately. It's love at first sight. You cannot get enough of this person. But so many times in reality, that is just not how love works. And so we really push our clients and coach our clients to after the first date, just think as far as, did I have a good enough time to go on another date with this person? So many times people go on a first date and they're like, I don't know if this could be my husband or my wife, but we don't want people to think that far. It's just as simple as, do I want to go out on another date with this person? So we always try to encourage people to go on a second date just as a default because first dates can be a little awkward. People are nervous. Your best self might not shine through. So we really recommend giving people at least a second chance if you had a good enough time and you felt good around them. If you go on like the first date, second date, when do you know when like, okay, this isn't working? Yeah, we like to say to give it, it, I'm going to think a little bit about a physical spark there Mm -hmm. or that physical attraction piece. After three dates, if you're just really not feeling it, then we would say that's a good time. We just want people to give others a chance. You know, dating can be really difficult and you can warm up to people and feelings can grow and feelings can build as you get to know somebody and spend more time with them. Yeah, and I think we're we're also in a cultural time right now. It's very interesting talking with people about physical connection and spark. And, you know, my message to a lot of people is sometimes a kiss is just a kiss or a handhold is just a handhold and it's okay to experiment and let that grow without feeling like you're going to be obligated to this person, you know, down the line. If you're not feeling a connection, I mean, I, I don't know if this is how it works with you guys. Cause you know, you probably handle a lot of the, the back end with follow-ups on dates and stuff like that. But like, even in sort of like the broader dating world on online dating apps, if you're not feeling the connection, What's the best way to go about telling that person that in a way that I guess is gentle, but also upfront? A lot of things people do is they just ghost, but most of us, when we've been ghosted, 
doesn't feel great. And it's exactly what you just said, you know, being gentle, but clear. We talk so much with our clients about clear communication. You can practice that clear communication with people that you are, you know, even if it feels sad that you're not interested in, it flexes that muscle for the people you are interested in. And, you know, I think there's this tendency, we've all been taught these weird games, whether it's from movies we've watched or TV shows that, you know, we can't be overly communicative or we can't be too direct or too this or too that. But really the, the best thing you can do in the situation where you want to let someone down or you're really interested and want to see them again is to just be honest. And that seems so simple, but to so many people, it's so hard and almost revolutionary, but that clear communication is huge. So, you know, and, and putting yourself in the other person's shoes, you wouldn't want to be ghosted. Like you just said, we've all felt it and it, it sucks. So not to do that to someone else. I think there's a karma involved in that, where if you're just honest and you let someone down and are, and are open about it, um, hope more people will hopefully be that way in return. You know? um, well, lastly, is there, do you have any sort of like broad, I guess, words of advice or comfort for those trying to navigate dating right now? Yeah, I would say that there are communities the micropolitan matchmaker community <laughs> that, you know, we curate events that are comfortable and welcoming to all types of people. And I think that being around single people, like-minded single people who are open to meeting new people, working on themselves, working to expand their network, whether that is just a platonic friend or a romantic connection, you know, you always have a space with micropolitan matchmakers. And we really feel that so much of dating is about self-confidence and whether or not you want to come to our events to meet somebody, but just to kind of put yourself out there and test the waters and have a, a group of supportive hype people there to be your wing woman or your wingman or just to hang out with um like becky said flex that muscle of confidence and come out you know i think a lot of people get very tripped up in am i going to be the oldest person there or the youngest person there or the only this person there or the only that person there and we purposefully don't collect that information when we plan events because it doesn't actually matter. You know, you're going to connect with people, as Gabby said, like-minded or, you know, who are all having a shared experience of looking for love. And you never know who you're going to meet. And I, I said this to a client earlier, you know, you might be 20 years older than a person you have a conversation with, but that person might actually have someone in their network that could be perfect for you. So you just never know what connections and relationships are going to happen. We love the vibe that has been created at our events and in our spaces. That was Becky Daniels and Gabby Fisher of Micropolitan Matchmakers in Schenectady, New York. If you're sick of swiping and want to learn more, you can learn more about their work at micropolitanmatchmakers.com. Thanks for listening to 51%. 51% is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio in Albany, New York. It's produced and hosted by me, Jesse King. Our associate producer is Jody Cowan. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok. And our theme is Lolita by the Albany-based artist Girl Blue. Thanks again to Nan Bauer-Maglin, Daniel Hood, Becky Daniels, and Gabby Fisher for contributing to this week's episode. To learn more about our guests and the show, you can check us out at our flagship station's website. That's wamcpodcast.org. We hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Jesse King for 51%. I was every single girl I
was nobody else, I was so sure of myself. I was 15 and a half. He was a hollow laugh. And I lost my cool somewhere along the way. A nightmare down the hallway. I had to learn how to look away. I lost my cool. Sweet melting little 